and welcome to Filmly Matters, a movie podcast hosted by Katie and Josh. And this episode, we are going to talk about the Oscars and discuss the Best Picture winner, Nomadland. And first, we're going to talk about the Oscars and do a brief little recap about the ceremony. We will not go into exhaustive detail and do a complete play-by-play about the ceremony and all the winners and losers, but just do some of the highlights and some of our favorite moments from the ceremony. So, first of all, uh, the ceremony opened and Regina King opened the ceremony, um, and I thought that she looked beautiful. She did. Yeah, she did. And uh, I really actually liked the way that, um, that the Oscars were set up this, this year. I liked the smaller, intimate venue. Yeah, it was very low-key, in my opinion. Um, whenever you think back over all the years at some of the different major venues where they've had it at, uh, this was definitely a much more intimate setting. Yeah, I really liked that uh, Questlove was the DJ, too. I thought that was a nice a nice change from the orchestra. Very different. That was hard for me to get used to. It was hard for me to uh, go from what they've always done with an orchestra just to a DJ. That, that just took me a while to get in the groove of that. It almost felt a bit like what the Golden Globes usually try to do. Uh, which is usually a little bit more casual, you know. Obviously, um, nobody was sitting around tables getting drunk at this ceremony like they do at the clubs. But, yeah. but I liked I liked the smaller venue, and I thought it um, it kind of lent itself well to the kind of mood of the these the last year or so, where just kind of in recognition of just how different things are. Yes, I agree with that. Um, the only thing that kind of struck me differently is um, just how much difference it makes whenever it's in the casual environment. It seems like over the years, maybe it's just me, but it seems like uh, that old essence of Hollywood chic elite, it just seems to be dying out. You know, because to me, that was always just the the epitome of class and sophistication. And, you know, it was always just uh, dressed to the nines. I mean, just unbelievable uh, prestige of an event. And it seems like this year we've gotten away from that more than ever. And I've just noticed slowly over the years, it starts to be more and more casual. Uh, but this year was really, I think... Um, Especially the dress, I noticed uh, there was a few heavy hitters, you know, in the way that the outfits were. Amanda Seyfried looked amazing. I loved that dress. And, you know, there were a few other. Regina King, you know, she, she as you mentioned earlier, you know, she looked very um, Oscar-ish. And, but, you know, for the most part, a lot of people were really casual. I mean, you saw more suits and even no ties in some instances. I mean, and that would have never flown back in the past. Yeah, I think that was just kind of an indicator of just how different this year at the ceremonies was because, I mean, we're still in the middle of a, of a pandemic. So, Right, but, I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with... Um, you know, putting your glad rags on. I mean, it could still be a classy event. I just, that's something that I hate 
them getting away from, you know, it's just, it seems like some things, I mean, it goes with our society now because people don't dress up, you know, anymore like they used to for church and weddings and funerals and that. And it's just kind of a dying tradition I hate to get away from. You are, you are quite fond of traditions. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, one, one change that I really liked seeing at this ceremony was that there were a lot of sign language interpreters. Mm-hmm. That was good. Yeah, and I think that that's something that they need to keep doing. Um, I don't know if there are typically any sign language interpreters at any of the Oscars, and perhaps they're just kind of tucked away and we don't ever see them. But I think that they were definitely more visible this year due to uh, being that one of the films that was nominated for Best Picture was The Sound of Metal, which um, dealt with deafness. So I think that was probably one of the reasons why they were more prominent this year, for sure. But I think that's something they need to keep doing. Yeah, it was nice to see that. And one of the films that was nominated for Best Documentary was Crip Camp. And that was a documentary that put together footage that was filmed on location at uh, a camp for people with various uh, mental and physical disabilities back in like I think the 60s or the 70s and so with that and with having so many different people who had differing levels of disabilities there I know that they had put in like ramps and things like that for people but I know that there was some controversy around the uh, setting up the event earlier in that they ran off a lot of homeless people in order to set up inside that venue. Oh. Oh, yeah, because it was the station. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a, it's kind of like surface level accommodations and then kind of like on the behind the scenes stuff, some less than accommodating and friendly activity going on. Wow. Well, I thought the venue looked upscale. I liked the way that it was decorated. I liked the colors. Mm-hmm. Those flowers were phenomenal. Um, so it was, they did a really, really good job doing the set. Yeah, I liked I liked the color choices. I liked all the promotional artwork and the artwork that they had in the, um, in the ceremony space itself. They um, solicited a couple different artists from different places in the world to do artwork that was symbolic of what movies meant to each creator mm-hmm. well it paid off because it was a really really sharp looking setting mm-hmm. and there were a lot of nice firsts in this ceremony uh-huh. uh, so Mia Neal and Jamika Wilson they were the first black women to win an Oscar for best makeup and hairstyling for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Blues Chloe Zhao was the first Asian woman to win and the first woman of color to win best director and correct me if I'm wrong, only the second woman to ever win Best Director, correct? Correct. Yes. The first being... Catherine Bigelow. Yes. Which is bananas. In <laughs> all this time, there have only been two. And uh, Yeo Jong Yoon was the first Korean... Uh, person to win Best Supporting Actress, and she was only the second person ever to win um, in the Best Supporting Actress category. The first winner was in 1957, 
so it's been that long, and that was Miyoshi Umeki for her role in the film Sayonara, and she was of Japanese descent. So definitely overdue for some more uh, diversity. Well, there was the, a lot of it this year. For sure, and that, that's a very, a very welcome change. Um, and Yo Jung Yun's uh, winning speech was definitely one of the highlights of the whole entire evening for oh, me. It was. She was so fun and genuine. Yeah, she was so she was sweet and she was just just so um, candid. Yeah. <laughs> not, not not a whole lot of uh, pomp. I, I liked I liked that a lot. She was very down to earth. And then um, I liked Daniel Kalayua's uh, speech. Hmm. It had quite a delightful little little moment there where I'm thanking his parents. Yeah, he was, yeah it was okay. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, and taking the, the time to talk about the the, the gentleman whose uh, life he portrayed in, yeah. in the movie. I thought that was that was a good addition as well. Uh, I found that the winner for the Best Foreign Film speech, Touching, uh, that was Thomas Vinterberg for... Um, Oh yeah, another round. Yeah, I liked I liked his speech. I didn't know um, I'd I'd heard about the film, but I didn't know any like details or anything about the filming. So I thought that was quite touching. I'm talking about his daughter and the mm-hmm. crew and everything rallying around him. Oh yeah, that was that was a tough one. Yeah, and I mean full disclosure, we haven't seen except I think maybe one now. Any of the films that were nominated, period. Yeah, which is a first in a long time. Yeah, it is our custom to sit and watch every single film that's nominated for Best Picture, and we've done that every single year, I think probably for as long as we've been married, which is 11 years now. Mm-hmm. And this year we didn't do that. No, this year I've been was I've been the least enthused about the Oscars as I ever have been in my life. So, and then I've stuck with it ever since I was a kid. Um, This was always the highlight of my year, uh, was watching the Academy Awards, and it's something that I've always stuck with. And uh, this year, I just couldn't get in the spirit. Yeah, it was hard. Um, Not only did we both work full-time and we were both in grad school, but... It's also the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, just not getting to experience an actual movie theater mm-hmm. um, over the past year, that makes all the difference. You know, it's because it's not the same, you know, watching these feature films at home uh, on the television, you know. So it's just it's just a whole different feel. It's almost easier in some ways to make yourself go out and kind of like turn it into a thing. Right. Um, when it's kind of like a, like an assignment to yourself or whatever, you know, as opposed to just lying around at home and you're like, oh, I'll get to that later. Yeah. And it's competing with everything else that you're wanting to stream or read or do. There was nothing more exciting in the world other than coming in and seeing those films recap that were nominated and then just waiting on that envelope to open. I mean, it was just always, there was comfort in that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then this year, it was just kind of a, "Eh, you know, we're going to do this just because we have to. Yeah, it was kind of an oddly set up ceremony in that they really didn't play any clips for any of the nominations. 
They did for the animated films, but that was pretty much it. I think there was one other... I think they play clips whenever they talked about best pictures. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that struck me is, um, and it was for the good, but one thing that has struck difference in the ceremony was they actually stayed on time this year. They cut out a lot of the fluff. Um, Because, you know, used to all the Best Picture nominees, someone would introduce them, and then they'd show the clips, and then, you know, it would still yet, you'd have a clip for every single acting and uh, award and that, and it was really nice to um, cut out a lot of the baloney and then just stick to the actual ceremony, because a lot of it gets redundant. And I personally didn't miss them not having an official host for the show because I think that that's really not even needed. It's not. You know, you would never... uh, I wouldn't have said that a few years ago, but now I think it works fine without... I mean, basically, the the host is just there to kind of, like, ham it up and entertain people. Anyway, it's not like they do a whole heck of a lot otherwise (laughs) well you're getting away from the once again you're getting away from the tradition you know i always loved growing up um you know billy crystal who Mm -hmm. hosted the oscars i mean because it was just it was really a thing you Mm -hmm. know and uh going into that with other instances, you know, there were some good ones. Uh, John Stewart did good. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, a few, you know, here and there. Whippy uh, Goldberg. Whippy Goldberg was amazing. Mm. Uh, but, you know, uh, now I think we're just in a different society and it's a different culture where, yeah, you just, that's one of the things you could X off that you don't need anymore. Yeah, and I liked that the trade-off was not playing anybody off from their acceptance speeches because I think that the whole purpose of this ceremony is to award artists for their achievements. So let them have that moment. Yeah, there were a couple that were a little long-winded, but nobody really Mm-mm. nobody really abused the stage this year. No, and I thought it was nice because I always find that playing them off stage really tacky and uncomfortable. Right. Especially, you know, if it's someone like the Lifetime Achievement Award winner or someone, you know, who's really elderly or has some kind of disability or something that just always feels really cold. Right, or like um, it was one of the earlier awards in the ceremony whenever... um, Thomas Venterberg was accepting that award and was talking about his daughter who passed away while they were filming. And I had this moment just feeling like, oh, my God, are they going to play him off? Right. Yeah, there's (laughs) always a little fear in the back of my mind I I was experiencing at that moment as well. Yeah. So I I appreciated that change. And, yeah, it was amazing that they were able to uh, run on time and still not really shortchange anybody yeah. it was you think. know it was a good ceremony mm-hmm. i was glad that we watched it i was glad as, even though i was not enthused i thought it was really good i thought that the the change for the most part as far as the the different venue and it makes a whole different feel to everything when the only people there were just the nominees You know, you didn't have all these Hollywood legends, you know, who were just there taking up seats. 
and all of the different masses of the crowd. I, I kind of liked the fact that it was just nobody but the nominees there. Mm-hmm. And they're like one guest or whatever. Yeah, and then the presenters. Yeah. I did think it was a little bit odd with the setup to where they did the best picture winner before they did the the best actor categories. Yeah, I didn't like that. That felt very anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, because like the best picture is always like the grand finale of the of the whole ceremony, and it seemed like the producers were kind of organizing and structuring the ceremony this time for like a big reveal for who won Best Actor because yeah. I think so many people were expecting Chadwick Boseman to win uh, um, with it being his final performance and all. And, I mean, by all accounts of what I've read from critics and stuff was that, you know, he did a phenomenal job. So I think they were probably banking on that. And then whenever it's like, oh, Anthony Hopkins won, everybody was like, okay. well i don't know i don't know what the intent was other than just the fact that so many other different elements of the ceremony were different this year Mm -hmm. if they would try that and shake it up a little bit that's the only thing i can think of for those of you who missed the ceremony yeah they did best picture and then they came back and then presented best actress in the leading role and then best actor in the leading role and then that was the end of the ceremony so very 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 different um because i've never seen an oscar ceremony before where best picture wasn't the final award for the evening yeah i didn't care for that at all i don't think that they'll do that again next year (laughs) it didn't seem to be very well received no I, i had actually i think left the room before that to get something from the kitchen and I came back and they were going over the nominees and I was like whoa 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the last 15 minutes it was very um very alarming. <laughs> yeah, it was. I thought that it was cool that they had Rita Morano present best picture. I really liked that. Mhm. So that um at least that made the experience a little bit more enjoyable. I also heard that they, they, uh, in the little like Oscar swag bags that they give to all the people who show up, um, that they put this little holographic card of Chadwick Boseman's face on it as like a little trinket, and a lot of people found that in very poor taste because there were two other actors who were nominated posthumously for their acting roles, uh, one of them being Heath Ledger, and nobody made uh, gifts out of their visage. Yeah. Hmm. That's kind of gross. Yeah, that's weird. That's really gross to do that. It was an interesting mix of highs and lows with the ceremony. There were some things that were changed that were, I thought, for the better and that were enjoyable. There were some low points and misses. Not sure why they gave Best Documentary to the one about the man making friends with an octopus when it seemed like there were much stronger contenders. Well, you never know. <laughs> I always try to I, I always try to give the benefit of the doubt whenever I haven't saw the films. I can't ever judge. That's fair. That is fair. Coming from, you know, in the past where, like I said, we've seen them all prior to the ceremony, mm-hmm. then I'm much more opinionated. 
yeah. But yeah, definitely an evening of highs and lows. Um, for the most part, it was it was a good ceremony. Yeah, and they gave um, an award to um, an organization called the MPTF, or the Motion Picture and Television Fund, which was something that neither one of us had ever heard of before, but I mm-hmm. thought was really cool that they it's an organization that offers assistance and care to those in the motion picture and television industries and their families that have limited or no resources. So like temporary financial assistance, case management, and residential living. I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a really, really, really neat organization. And it makes me, you know, wanna wanna see that more in charitable donations and memorials and such. Um, now because it seems like it's just something that there's a real need for that. I think it would be neat if if more specialized industries and stuff had organizations like that to help people who served and worked in those fields. Yeah, it's I an, agree. It's a neat idea. It was good to see uh, Tyler Perry mm. win an award um, of such uh, grandeur. I thought that was nice. For his humanitarian stuff. Yeah, because he seems to be one of the most uh, generous living people on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. So that was very nice to see that he was awarded that, especially at such a young age. Mm-hmm. He, he does definitely give a lot of money to philanthropic stuff and to help out his community. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Probably one of the one of the funniest moments was probably Glenn Close. Yeah, that was probably my favorite favorite moment of the whole ceremony. Yeah, and it was it was like a, a partially scripted bit in that like you know they knew who they were gonna call on and what the um, what the like game or whatever was gonna be and what they were gonna ask her, but the the dancing was all her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that was that was kind of fun. Definitely don't expect to see a 70-plus-year-old white lady throw an ass on TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so yeah, and I think that's kind of like one of those things where um, that being in a smaller, more intimate, slightly more casual ceremony kind of lent itself to that kind of, that kind of moment. Well, and having a DJ, too, you know. For sure. So yeah, so that's the Oscars in a nutshell. Well, so it was it was good. Highs, lows, awkward moments, WTF moments. It ended up feeling a little bit flaccid there at the end, but all in all, there were some enjoyable moments yeah, too. Yeah, so I'll look forward to next year. Yeah, hopefully things are a little bit more normal by next year, and. We'll see what they do with the hosting situation. Yeah. And the smaller venue next year wouldn't bother me either. Mm -mm. I think that keeping it simple in that aspect, I think, is kind of cool. Yeah. And with the declaration of the winner of Best Picture being Nomadland, that gave us the topic for our film this week. So, Nomadland won for Best Picture, and Chloe Zhao won for Best Director, and Frances McDormand won for Best Actress in a Leading Role. 
Yes. <laughs> and what was interesting was that uh, Francis McDormand is the first ever person in general to win both the both an acting award as well as a in a producing capacity for the same film. So that's just like period ever. <laughs> so that that was pretty pretty cool. So the film centers around Fern who is a widow. Her husband had died um, a couple of years before this movie takes place in 2011. He had previously been employed with a gypsum mining company in a place called Empire, Nebraska. And after the mine closes, basically the whole entire town closes and disappears. And so Fern decides to become a nomad she she packs up what few belongings are the most important to her and leaves in a van and takes up working jobs in whatever various locations she finds herself in starting with uh, working in an amazon warehouse and from there as the climate changes and it gets colder where she is she she moves further down south where it's warmer works agricultural jobs restaurant jobs jobs in small rock stores <laughs> and 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 meets people along the way and kind of gets she gets to experience and enjoy all these little moments that you can only find out there on the road in America and she's a she's a really interesting character she's very she's very introverted but she seems to relate to others. I don't want to say she relates to them easily, but she she seems to have a really intuitive way of getting along with people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd say that. Um, she, yeah, she seems to, uh, even though she seems uh, in her own way introverted and a little awkward, she does seem to fit everywhere she goes. Uh, everyone likes her. And I could see why, because uh, she's just seems like a, at heart a really good person. Yeah, and there's no filter. There's no, um, and not in a harsh way, but just in such a way that she's just real. Yeah. Um, she she doesn't have any kind of a a front. She just kind she just says what she thinks and means what she says, and is just an honest upfront person with yeah. no bullshit. <laughs> and I really like that. I really like that about her. I found myself um, being really drawn to her as a character. Uh, she seems like someone that you would just feel good to be around. She just likes being kind and decent to people. Mm-hmm. She's not selfish or conceited or self-serving. And that was one thing that I really liked about this film uh, all her little companions that you see along the way uh, in her journeys, there's not one character to me in this film that's in any way threatening. Yeah. All of you know her little cronies, uh, Linda May and Gay and Dave, every single one of them are just like real people there's just no you know there's nothing facetious or anything every character in this film is just um, honest and just basically what you see is what you get and I really found that comforting 
Yeah, I know some of the um, some of the characters were were played by the real life people mm-hmm. because this is based off of a, a memoir, and so those are the same people who just played like fictionalized versions of themselves. So I think that kind of lent to a lot of their authenticity and genuineness. Yeah, but it was so nice. It was so nice to not have um, any villains or anything in a film. You know, it was just you keep waiting for there to be some kind of, you know, overall swindler or, you know, troublemaker or something. And there wasn't any of that in this film. And I can't think of another movie that I've experienced right offhand where you don't have, you know, where you don't have those things. Yeah, I caught myself a few times waiting for something bad to happen to her. Right. (laughs) Especially uh, being a woman traveling all by herself. I mean, that's, that's a pretty vulnerable position to be in. And nobody ever robbed her. Nobody ever vandalized her van. I mean, like... She definitely encountered some challenges and difficulties along the way, but it wasn't as a result of anybody doing anything malevolent to her. So that was quite nice. And I liked Swanky, too. Yeah. She was she was a character. And, yeah, so, so Fern, you can tell, is lonely. Um, you can tell that she really misses her husband and that they really loved and cared about each other. And she seems to want companionship while she's out there traveling alone. But there are definitely several instances where she's very reluctant to get close to people. And I think it's mostly just because she's afraid of um, feeling that kind of loss again. Which is interesting because the lifestyle that she picks up is inherently one where you leave people. Right. Well, and you know, and I saw that as, you know, that was her way of getting to not be hurt, you know? Because, I mean, you think about that being in a situation when you start to get really close to people, you know, out of the fear of losing them, what better way do you have to get out of the situation without creating any problems other than just up and leaving, you know? Yeah. There was, you know, that was one thing that I found interesting. In a few of the instances when she did just up and leave, there were no goodbyes. And I think that that says a lot. Not in the sense of just being rude or tacky, but it's just so much easier not to have that sadness of going away. And that's the the notion of grief, I think is one that permeates the film between her navigating and coping with the loss of her husband. And then you encounter so many other people along the way who have had some kind of loss as well, whether it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, both. And the gentleman whose name I can't remember, but who did a lot of the lifestyle type talks and videos and stuff in the film. That was something that he'd mentioned in one of his conversations with Fern is that it's okay to not get over grief and that in their community, there are no final goodbyes. Just I'll see you down the road. I'll see you later. And I thought that was really touching, just the way that the film set it up and then the way that it was presented at the right moment and then it was closed, closure of that as well. So it really tied it all together. It's like there's closure and there not being closure. 
Right. I liked, I liked what he said about how what's remembered lives, and then, but how you know you just kind of like paraphrase how you can't spend too much time just remembering. You also have to kind of get out there and live. Yeah, I wrote that down as well because that really stuck with me. I found the film to make me question my own mortality, and I wouldn't have got that from a film about nomads. Um, I wouldn't think, but I really got to thinking about that because, I mean, in their own way, you know, so many people were leaving behind a legacy and you wouldn't expect that, you know. And so I just found that to be interesting because going into the film, I didn't think that it would be um, anything that deeply thought-provoking, but it really was. Yeah, it was interesting because one of the things that I kept thinking about while we were watching the movie was what is home? And that's something that Fern brings up early on in the film when somebody asks her if she's homeless. And she says, "I'm no, I'm not homeless. I'm houseless. I do have a home. It's my van. Right. <laughs> and just the, the whole concept of what makes a place home for you and what makes a life for you and you talking about legacy along with a movie about nomads it's like the folks in the movie they don't have a lot of material possessions but they do leave something behind regardless because of all the lives that they touch throughout their own living and the kinds of wisdom and experiences and things that they impart on other people while they're here. Mm -hmm. And it was such a close community, too. Everywhere she went, you noticed that, that it was really just kind of a a non-threatening environment. Yeah, just how open everybody was and accepting of each other. I'm sure there were all different kinds of political and religious viewpoints that each person had, but nobody seemed to talk about that so much. It seemed everybody found a way to unite with one another in the lifestyle that they were leading and in their eagerness to live life on their own terms. Yeah. I would say that if there was any villain in the film, it was capitalism. Yeah. Because that seemed to be one of the biggest motivating factors for a lot of people to live this kind of lifestyle was the kind of freedom that they found in it, that the system as it is now doesn't exist to support them. Right. And in the ever so slightest, minute moment of time, there was, you know, I felt just very, 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 briefly how that would be a comforting lifestyle Mm -hmm. in some way you know and then I got back to reality but it just seemed like a little bit of just you know worldly possessions material things just you know let it go and then just go and live there was just something kind of cool about that that I'd never really thought of that you know that's a lifestyle that people live i mean i'm i'm quite fond of my creature comforts and i don't think that i could probably live that way but i don't think there's anything wrong with it either i think it really highlights what it is that's important to you and what's important in life really because you can give away your possessions but you can't give away your experiences right that's a good point and just all the little things that she got to see and notice that you get to see in the film too, like her walking through the redwoods or seeing the buffalo or 
skinny dipping in the river, you know, just just little things that I think I liked whenever Swanky, one of the characters that she meets along the way, was talking about how when she was kayaking one time and there were all these swallows' nests and getting to see all the swallows flying around and feeling like she was flying with them and everything and just what kind of a perfect moment that was. It's like, those are the important things in life. Right. Those things that you never forget. And I feel like there were a lot of really beautiful little visual moments in the film. And one one of the things that I noticed, really thought was a nice little touch, was Fern has gone out to this uh, planetary watch thing with a telescope out in the, out in the field. And the the guide for the experience he's talking to this small group and asks them to look at their hands because when they look at their hands they're seeing stars because molecules and atoms and things that make up our human body and our whole world come from elements that are found in stars and then as soon as that scene ends it cuts to her hand cleaning in the restaurant that she's doing work in and so I just found that just a really striking just juxtaposition between like this kind of loftier philosophical outlook on what human human beings are and are made of and then just the very practical nature of what those human hands still need to do yeah yeah there were a couple little golden nuggets like that in the film that you had to look for that really uh, tied it all up and made it come together all in all, I felt like this was a very human film, and it wasn't sad, but it does break your heart a little bit, and I think that that's, that's why, because it's a human film yeah. about the human experience, and I think that that was one of, the, one of the most accurate ways I could think of as describing it. It felt very real to mm-hmm. me. You know, that was, that was the thing. I never felt like I was watching a movie you know, throughout the whole film. It just felt more like an experience. Yeah, you felt like you were getting to step in and just watch a little piece of this woman's life and the lives of the people that she interacts with. And I thought that the... I liked the ending because it's like... It kind of comes full circle for her and it kind of goes with that same theme of there is no goodbye, I'll just see you later. Mm -hmm. And she goes back to the place that she had called home with her husband and goes to the little track house, which, of course, is abandoned and empty. And I noticed that there were a couple tumbleweeds inside the house, even. And she walks out the back door, and there's still nothing between her and the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so poetic, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Uh, and a beautiful shot, too. Yeah, I just... I can definitely understand why this won Best Picture. Yeah, it was very Best Picture-worthy. Um, and Frances McDormand, my goodness, she knocks everything she does, she knocks out of the ballpark, whether it was, you know, uh, her first Oscar winning role in Fargo, it was this, you know, Nomad's Land. I mean, hell, even, you know, Mrs. Pettigrew lives for a day. Everything she does, you know, she just makes you linger to her falling into character and in real life she seems you know so goofy and that but when she turns it on I mean she turns it on she's she's definitely an artist yeah like she takes on and embodies any role that she does and you don't even realize that she's acting 
like it is it's like she is that person exactly. when she does it yeah but it's in such a subtle and natural way when she does it yeah yeah and i love seeing her at any award ceremony ever because she just doesn't buy into any of that nonsense right <laughs> it's like um i, I just love she she like doesn't wear any makeup she barely cares about her hair because it's like, that's not the important stuff anyway, right. really. Right. And, and I, I just love her, like, no bullshit attitude. Yeah, it's right back to very real, you know. And yeah, she definitely seems eccentric. But I think that sometimes we consider people who are just very honest and very comfortable with themselves eccentric. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I love her. Yeah. <laughs> she is definitely a legend. So that's all that we have to say about Nomadland. Um, I would give it a 5 out of 5. All right. Very good. I would, uh, I'd give it 4.5 out of 5, so I'm almost there. So. All right. <laughs> so it is a high-ranking film for both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so highly recommend you watch it. It's on Hulu right now. So if you have a subscription or have a friend subscription, <laughs> you can log in and watch it for free. I definitely do want to go and watch like all of the other yeah. movies. Yeah, now, it though. seemed like there were some good ones. Yeah, there were a lot of really good ones. So with that, we shall see you all next time. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good night. If you liked what you heard, then please rate, review, and subscribe. That kind of feedback really helps small podcasts like ours get noticed and heard by more people. If you're listening on Spotify, you can hit like and follow instead. If you want to send us a review by email or any other feedback, then feel free to email us at filmlymatters at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at filmlymatters and check out our website at filmlymatters.com where you can read more about us, listen to full episodes, and read our film critiques and reviews. Thank you!